2: is sponsored by celebrity kind celebrity news but just the inspiring stuff hello everyone and welcome to the nasty woman club the catch-up your weekly catch-up on news issues and events in the world of intersectional feminism I am the Nasty Woman Club founder, host, journalist, Demi Lynch, and I will be in your ears for the duration of this episode. This week on the show, I'll be talking about graduating through a global pandemic and the struggles, confusion, and uncertainties that has risen for many graduates around the world during this difficult time. But first on the show... We really need to talk about racism in Australian media because as we've seen this past week it's still prevalent on Australia's television screens. New research has come out from Media Diversity Australia and they have found that 75% of news and current affairs commentators, presenters and reporters on Australian TV are of an Anglo-Celtic background and only 6% of of TV journalists are from an indigenous or non-European background. Yet, these groups of people make up almost a quarter of Australia's population. And that's not the only racist thing uncovered in the media this week. We also need to talk about a certain redhead woman. Yep, we're going to look at that redhead rant.
1: I don't want to go through this experience being different because, because of the God. This sounds so stupid, but the color of my goddamn hair, and that sucks. It's the color of my complexion.
0: I'm the only redhead in the whole entire house, <laughs> and the rest of them. I think they're like they're the, their the only colors are blonde or brunette, and then there's me. I think that's exactly right. A is targeting me course cool, the red hair it's just it's not appropriate yeah.
1: what's wrong with red the ranger? i'm sorry yeah. do you want me to dye my hair every 10 seconds because you don't <laughs> like my color my i'm yes. so sorry but this is this is natural guys if you are
2: clawing away at your brain right now wondering what you just listened to that would be bachelor contestant zoe claire mcdonald talking about discrimination regarding her red hair but, to unpack this further, I have badass writer and journalist Celia on the line right now, and she has some thoughts on this very tone deaf moment in Australian television. I have to ask you, my dear, my dear Celia, is racism the same as being a redhead? I mean, is it as hard as being a redhead? No <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> when, so I okay, look, I know that Zoe was obviously very drunk, but like. Yeah. Tell me what happened to you that made you think this way. Mm. Tell me what kind of oppression you think you've experienced. Like, I just genuinely want to know. I'm like, have you been, like, rejected from a job interview because you have red hair? Have you been told that you're not dateable by people or that you can't be brought home to the parents because you have red hair? Do you get unfairly targeted by the police? Like, tell me what it is that has made you think you are so oppressed because I'm genuinely curious to see how she, like, got there. It's so absurd. I feel like, to me, it reads like, She's obviously very insecure. She's obviously at some point been told that maybe she's perhaps not as beautiful as other girls because of her red hair. Maybe, like maybe. And I feel like it's clear that somebody, perhaps a parent, somebody close to her has been like, no, baby girl, you're like the most beautiful person ever. Like don't let these heads get you down. Your red hair is to die for. Like don't worry, honey. And she's got in that pep talk, but it's like, it's just, she's just internalized it so intensely that Mm -hmm. now it's like a point of oppression for her which i just don't. it doesn't make sense just like oh my god to compare that to like racism and discrimination is just like absolutely insane to me it's just like it's so absurd like absurd is the only word that i can think to describe it but also just like says no one cares if you have red hair like i just, i didn't even think about it i didn't even notice that she was the only redhead person on the bachelor until she said it
2: those that didn't watch the show Zoe's comments and discriminatory thoughts was in response to other fellow Bachelor contestant Ariba. Ariba is a woman of colour, yet another white contestant claimed Ariba was picking on her for her red hair. No one on the show caught out this behaviour as tone deaf or racist. Many have just said this is what happens when producers don't show duty of care by making sure that contestants don't drink too much. But why has everyone on social media this past week been worrying about Zoe? How is Ariba feeling after all this?
3: Ariba is like, she's Pakistani, which instantly, like, I'm obsessed with her because I'm also Pakistani. And this is the first time I've ever really seen a Pakistani Australian person on TV. I don't even really know that many Pakistani people in real life, you know, aside from, like, my immediate family and, like, some family friends. I just, like, don't know any Pakistani people. (laughs) So I was like, yes, girl. But it's just, like, Ariba would have definitely been absolutely hyper aware of her skin tone and her ethnicity as she was in this room full of Barbie dolls which is what she said like when in the second episode when there's like a newcomer Ariba's like oh another Barbie doll because it's true for all the girls that are out here being like oh my god that's just tearing other women down it's not it's actually just true like these are all tall leggy beautiful blonde women that are you know the pinnacle of like Australian beauty standards and Ariba who is obviously also stunning but a different kind of standing, would feel insecure by that. You would feel insecure and attacked. I feel like constantly insecure and attacked when I'm around tall, beautiful white women and I'm like the one little brown girl there. Like <laughs> you are hyper aware of- of how you fit into this group and how you stand out and while a lot of I feel like white people are always like no but like I love your caramel skin I wish I had that tan like that's great you can say that but it do- doesn't mean anything in the moment you're like fuck I'm the only brown person here and it immediately feels like it negates from your attractiveness you feel like you have to compete with all these tens that's how it, just how it feels and while Ariba is obviously like freaking stunning you would still feel insecure about that and it's just like I feel sorry I feel so sad for her because I don't mean it's the pity way I mean this like in an empathetic I've been there way because it sucks to be the only brown person in a room full of like blonde white beautiful girls and then to have one of them come up to you and like yell in your face and like wave a hand there was like gesticulation going on there it was just like absolutely unhinged and like the amount of composure Ariba had to like not like cry <laughs> or like that yell at her. So I would, I, I would have cried. I don't think Ariba's the kind of girl who probably would have cried, but I would have mm. cried. It's just crazy. But like, even as like Zoe leaves, you can see Ariba's hand shaking as she's like eating her sandwich. And I'm just like, oh, I want so much more for you. The image is horrible of like Ariba sitting down and like Zoe is towering over her, screaming in her face. And then on top of that, Zoe has mocked Ariba's ethnic name and that hit really close to home because I've had that happen to me and it is very racist. Mm. It is just straight up racism to mock an ethnic name. It is just racist. There is no going about it. It's not a funny joke. It's not a cute teasing thing. Like it's just racist. If you mock difficult ethnic names and Ariba's name is not even difficult, then you are a racist, first of all. That's just what you're out there, straight up. So like to mock her name and then to be like Ariba is coming for me for my red hair. And it's just like, no, Ariba would have interrupted literally any girl that was talking to Loki, because that's how you play this game.
2: Yeah, exactly. Women have been doing it on The Bachelor for years. She didn't do it because you had red hair. No, she just did it because that's just what everyone does. You interrupt
3: a conversation. Yeah. Like, it's yeah—it's a bunch of women competing for a man. Like... like you're literally all sharing the same boyfriend, sis. If this is going to happen. At some point, this is going to happen. Oh, I just can't believe how much she talks about her Aryan features. Like my bone structure my blue or green eyes that can stop traffic and i'm like hmm you know if we pair like the the," she said complexion she said the word complexion which is just you've talked about your white skin which is your complexion your green or blue or the fuck color her eyes are and your red hair and then you've said that no one else had this It makes you better than everybody else. You deserve respect for it. And Ariba is wrong for interrupting somebody with these features. What does that say? Because I'm getting some big, like, don't interrupt white woman vibes. Like, I'm getting some how dare you not know your place vibes. Mm. Right? Like, Did you feel that way watching it? Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. But like, what's really sad is that a lot of people are bringing up Zoe and like saying that she's racist and stuff like that. But no one seems to be really like saying like, is Ariba okay? I've not heard one person like voice and be like, is she okay right now? Because she was, firstly, firstly she was uh, was given the villain edit, you know, she got the villain music because she's a boss, which I think is fucking badass, by the way. But, like, is she okay with the fact that, because she obviously wouldn't have heard every single little thing that Zoe had said. And then to be blasted with all those
3: things that Zoe had been saying about Mm. her, like, I'm really worried that if she, is she okay with uh, happening to her? There's something about this that I actually really want to comment, and it's going to bring it back to Zoe, which I'm sorry about, but... (laughs) No, but I've seen people be like, this is so cool. Like, you guys are bullying Zoe. What about her mental health? Like, it's hard being on reality TV. You don't understand what it feels like for her. And I'm like, yes, I don't understand what it feels like for her. But I understand what it feels like for Ariba. And that's maybe not on TV, which is so much worse. Like, I understand a day-to-day feeling of what it feels like to be Ariba and have people like, make fun of you for your name or make judgments on you based on your skin tone. Like, I definitely am often accused of being the bully because just a brown girl being matter of fact is always aggressive, you know? Like, we just can't stand up for ourselves without being aggressive. We can't call out bad behavior without it being aggressive or bullying and we're just, like, trying to get treated like real human beings, you know? So, I, like, you know what? No, I don't know what it feels like to be a white racist girl crying on TV and then everybody taking for it. I don't. I don't pretend to know. But I know what it feels like to be reba and yeah. So I'm far more invested in Ariba's well being. How mm. does she feel? Is she okay? Because I wouldn't be okay. And I have been monitoring Ariba's Instagram comments for anyone who says anything cruel, so I can fight them because yes. I love her. Yes. Yes. Like. I have seen racist comments on there. There was a comment on Ariba's Instagram the other day, and I'm um, just trigger warning racism. But somebody wrote, You look like you'd smell like curry on her Instagram comments. And I was just like, Oh my God, like, I'll actually, who are you? Send me your location. I just want to talk. Like, but it was just shocking. Like, she is experiencing racism from not just Zoe, but like people, like just a racist Australian public. And no one is talking about Ariba. No one is talking about how she feels, how is she coping? How are we going to protect her collectively from the Australian, like racist community? Like, what are we going to do? Nobody gives a shit and everybody's just like, oh poor Zoe, poor Zoe and I'm like I hope you, could, you extend this compassion to Ariba. Exactly yes and that's
2: definitely to the point because yeah there are
3: people obviously concerned like
2: oh is um, Zoe gonna experience a lot of bullying but the thing is as well as you said what about Ariba though what about the bullying she'll experience regardless of what happens with The Bachelor she'll experience bullying because she is a woman of colour in the media so she'll experience
3: racism yeah. bullshit and she is a strong assertive ambitious woman of color which is mm-hmm. like every white racist nightmare right yeah. she's coming in here unapologetically which if a white woman do it did it, it would be like oh my god yes queen but because it's like a it's like wow she's so aggressive she needs to tone it down she's actually being really mean like she's such a bully i don't, I don't know i just i feel like she could just be a bit nicer about it you <laughs> know so much tone policing happening everybody just having criticism for like a and then, you know, there was obviously some people that love and support her. And I'm in that, I guess, group of people. And I'm seeing a lot of that because those are the groups of people that I insert myself in. But if you go into like Bachelor groups and like Bachelor commentaries from like random people on Facebook, there is a lot of Ariba hate, like a lot. <laughs> and it's like, you you're, you're want to say it's because you just don't really love her attitude. But everybody was loving other women in The Bachelor who have had similar attitudes. I feel like in a lot of ways, Ariba is like the Abby of this season. Yeah, you know, she's like she's ambitious. She knows what she wants. She's pretty unapologetic about the fact that she knows what she wants. She's not really afraid to like take the bachelor away and talk to him and stuff. And Abby got a lot of hate for that too during her season. And afterwards, she actually created a lot of change talking about it. And now people are like, "Oh my god, yes, Abby, feminist queen, love mm-hmm. that," which is great. But I feel like the same people who reckon they've come around. And now see the, the feminist like are actually doing the exact same thing to Areba that they originated to Abby, but they don't afford Ariba that feminist position that Abby has because Ariba isn't like this perfect, like white victim. She's yeah. a woman of color. She's immediately like, la- like people immediately like compassion and sympathy towards her. So I guess
2: we'll just have to see what happens when the show progresses. And I cannot wait to just hear... Ariba's first thoughts or interview, because obviously she can't post much on social media due to contract with The Bachelor, of course. So I cannot wait to see what she says once she can actually, like, you know, voice her opinions of what is happening
3: right now. I do wonder how much she'll say, because we know Nuranga experienced racism mm-hmm. on the Bachelor in Paradise season, and he said he did. And then later on, after um, Ariba was announced as being on The Bachelor, he actually says something along the lines of, oh, like everybody is really welcoming. You're going to have such a good time. And it's like, you literally just said like a week ago that you experienced racism on the show. So it makes me wonder how much people like aren't maybe allowed to like say what they want to say or don't feel comfortable saying that they experience racism because they don't want to be pulling the race card or whatever it is that white people gaslight into thinking about ourselves. So I am interested for sure in seeing what she says and to see if it matches with what's on TV because I feel like she may tone down what happened to her naturally because she doesn't want to feel or look like a victim Mm. and also people don't really take kindly to us saying that we experience racism so i am also very very interested to see how that progresses
2: yeah and another thing that has happened this past week in the media and something that is actually just not even that surprising at all. Some researchers have recently found these findings about the percentage of on-air TV journalists, commentators, presenters, reporters, etc. of how many of those are actually white people. And unsurprisingly, three quarters of presenters, reporters, TV journalists are of Anglo-Celtic backgrounds. And I think it was, and under 10% are non-European backgrounds or Indigenous backgrounds. My dear, as someone that
3: is a woman of colour, are you at all surprised? No. And I I love how like, well, not love, but I love how all these media companies are like, oh my God, look at these new stats. Shocking. And I'm like, is it though? Like... Mm. Is it though I, like, I have a journalism degree, I'm a journalist, I write for a media youth publisher, um, and I remember when I went into my journalism degree initially, like, when I, because I didn't know what I wanted to do all throughout high school, so it was pretty last minute that I decided to jump into journalism, and then I ended up loving it, but it's just, like, so many people were, like, to me, are you sure you want to go into that? And it wasn't from a, it wasn't from a place of, like, you know, actually, like, this is, like, family and, like, friends that were, like, are you sure you want to go into australian journalism because we know how racist and honestly just fucked up like australian journalism i mean like remember yasmin Abdelmajid? like she didn't she get absolutely torn apart in the media for like something so to me is just not controversial she had to move away yeah she had to flee the country people on like talk shows were talking about how they want to run her over and stuff like this is the last prominent muslim woman in the media that is what happened to her yeah and that happened while i was in high school so it's, and then I went into journalism and like my people were concerned like my family was were concerned for me because they like didn't want something like that to happen to me they didn't want me to get death threats and stuff but this is a real concern that women of color have and think about when we go into the media then I did my journalism degree and I was one of maybe five five-ish women of color in my class <laughs> like everybody was white all our, almost all our, we had one non-white professor, which is so exciting for me because I was like, oh my God, you like, you made it in media. I love this. It gives me hope. <laughs> Everybody else was white. Every, when we got was, every tutor was white. Every talk person we came, like that came to uni to talk to us about our career was white. When they brought in ex-students who were successful in journalism, all of them were not only white, but they were like TV white. They were like, mm. they could be a talk show or, or a weather girl or whatever on tv like they had that like white look that people actually look for and it was so disheartening for me i remember because was before i worked in media i didn't have a job yet and i was just like oh my god like i'm doomed <laughs> like if these are the only people they can find to bring back to uni to show a success and all of them are tv beauty standard white then i'm fucked <laughs> Um, and that's just how you feel in media. Like you just know that you're gonna get ridden off as like a diversity or token writer. Every now and then you'll be given a niche platform because something happened. Like with me, I mean, I work. I got an internship at Five One and then started working there. And my boss is also non-white, so it's great for me because we're both brown people, so we vibe. But he's really great and really supportive. But you know, like when the Paragon incident happened to me which for those of you who don't know like last year I was not let into a like restaurant pub thing based on my hijab and it blew up it was all over the news it made international headlines I was on like BBC radio it's a big thing and suddenly like I was getting writing opportunities and it was just like is it because I'm brown and you just need a brown person to comment on this or do you actually think I'm smart <laughs> like it was very token <laughs> and look I am very thankful for the writing opportunities I got from there because it really kicks my career yeah but it's one of those things where it's like The only other time one of those publications reached out to me to write as a freelancer was also something very specific to, like, Muslim women. And it was just, like, I am so much more than, like, my skin colour and my religion. I was born and raised in Australia. I understand the pop culture here. I can talk about movies and TV shows. I can talk about anything. But you get put into this niche where you only reach out on their spare budget or there's a really niche issue and they want to look like they actually have diverse people, so they'll give you one freelance opportunity so they can slap your name on their website. That's what it is, and it's not shocking to anyone. And then to have these publications come out and be like, "shocking," and I'm like, "How many of your staff are people of color?" Mm. How, tell me, who wrote this article? Are they white? Did your did a white person write your diversity article? Probably. <laughs> Pedestrian did an article, Pedestrian TV, I, which I saw I think yesterday, and it was like, "Oh, uh, you know, a new report shows how blindingly white." australian media is and i'm thinking first of all pedestrian is owned by nine news who is at the they have the worst rating for diversity at like three percent or something and second of all how many pedestrian staff are non-white if you do a quick peruse through the pedestrian website which i do quite often because i work in youth media so i just like to know what people are talking about yeah very few of their articles talk about race related things And when they do, it's often from a perspective of somebody who's not actually affected by that race-related thing. You know, it's just, it's very much, look, I don't know how patient TV staff works, but it definitely looks like they often avoid controversial topics. And when they Mm. do comment on it, it's usually by like a white or white passing person. And it's usually about a topic they already know they're going to get good engagement on. Yeah. You know, it's not like, we're not having some rigorous journalism on POC issues. I don't even know how many POC staff they have. And it's the same with, like, all youth publishers. You know, like, Junkie, I remember during the Black Lives Matter protest, the editor put out a thing being like, hey, guys, I have some spare budget. and I'd really love to use it exclusively on buy POC voices. And it's just like, okay, but, like, why is this a spare budget thing? <laughs> why don't you just include <laughs> us on your team? Why don't you just hire us? Why yeah. is this a spare budget thing? Why are we an afterthought? This is an ongoing issue. To pretend like it's this new shocking evaluation because this report is fucking bullshit.
2: That was Celia. Make sure you check her out on her Instagram page, at Salia Official. And also, she'll be on Friday's upcoming episode of The Nasty Woman Club, because her and I had so much to talk about that we had to do two interviews. So make sure you tune in on Friday's episode, where we talk about toxic masculinity, racism, fat shaming, and we go on a bigger, deep dive into the problematic world of The Bachelor franchise.
3: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and three hundred and sixty-five-day returns on your next order. That's
1: quince.com slash upgrade.
2: We'll be back in a moment with today's episode of the catch-up. But before we do, I want to talk with you all about today's sponsor, Celebrity Kind. Tired of reading the usual celebrity stuff? the gossip, the lies, the bullying, the shaming, well, I have the place for you, Celebrity Kind. Celebrity Kind rids the toxicity you see on celebrity gossip sites and magazines and just talks about the positive stuff because Celebrity Kind understands that celebrities are people just like us. So for more content on celebrity stories that matter, head to celebritykind.com. Unless you have been living under a rock, The world is experiencing a historic global pandemic and people of all walks of life have been affected by COVID-19. One of the many groups of people affected by this virus has been people that have recently graduated from university or are about to graduate. Because normally, graduating university, graduating from college is a historic, monumental moment that people will remember forever. But for many people going through this important stage in their lives... It's been a struggle. Struggle to find work, struggle to figure out what to do in this climate, in this world, and also how to celebrate this moment when you can no longer be near your loved ones. Some of the Nasty Woman Club listeners have actually sent in some voice memos to talk about their experiences of graduating university during a global pandemic.
4: Hey Demi, Jess here from Stage 4 Lockdown in Melbourne. Uh, I'm finishing up my PhD in neuroscience, more specifically the area of Alzheimer's disease research. I'm sure I speak for the majority of graduate researchers when I say that completing a PhD is already so challenging, so to throw a global pandemic on top of that, it's been incredibly difficult. The institute I work at has completely banned all scientists from coming in uh, except those working on COVID related projects or urgent work which has put so much uncertainty on when or even if I'll be able to get my last experiments done before I have to submit my thesis. Um, As you can imagine it's created a lot of anxiety because the university does kick you out after um, your four-year mark which is coming up very quickly for me. The financial stress is challenging as well. I'm not sure if many people know, but PhD researchers are paid well below minimum wage while working more than your average full-time hours, on top of not being able to work certain hours to supplement your income in the face of a huge financial crisis is really scary. So next week I'll be giving my final seminar. Uh, on the last four years of my research which is usually a huge rite of passage type moment and to be honest it's super disappointing that it'll be in my bedroom over zoom it sounds so trivial but to miss out on moments like this i mean i've been studying in tertiary education for almost 10 years now, and it does hurt to know I won't be able to celebrate my graduation in front of a crowd, uh, with my friends and my family, you know, to stand on that stage in my regalia and to get acknowledged for the contribution I've made to medical literature. Visions of being on that stage is really what got me through the last few difficult years. I know there's a lot worse that could be happening to me right now, but I think we have to allow ourselves the opportunity to grieve these losses as well. I, I really wish the best of luck for, um, to all the graduates for next year. It will be tough. The job market is so low at the moment. Uh, I've been really blessed that I've been able to land two job offers for careers that I know that I'll love. Um, but it's definitely been challenging, and I wish everyone the best of luck. Thanks
0: hi lovely um so yeah basically i graduated in november with a bachelor of health science um majoring in nutritional medicine so yeah i was really looking forward to being a clinical nutritionist I'd been at uni for the last six years, so I was pretty keen to get out there and get going. Um, I thought I'd take a couple of months off at the end of the year just to um, you know hang out with friends and go away for Christmas and whatnot. And then when I started looking for a job in around January, February, uh, that was when coronavirus was sort of starting um i had no idea it was going to get as bad as it as it did um and yeah basically in march we all went into lockdown and it has been really really hard to get going um i've been on seek pretty much every single day just trying to find something Yeah, in my industry, I know a lot of clinics that have actually had to close down or they've really quietened down because a lot of people don't have much money to invest in their health at the moment. Um, Yeah, I know friends that have lost work. So I know I'm not the only one um, and I'm just trying to be patient. um, But my casual work, so I also worked in a hostel and so that's actually closed down as well. Um, So I'm completely out of work at the moment. So I know the job Market is super competitive right now. A lot of people are out of out of work, um, so I'm a, I'm just aware it's going to be a bit of a struggle for a while. Also, my graduation was meant to happen this year. Um, it was meant to happen. I think it was around March. It was meant to happen, and it obviously got cancelled. And the last I heard is that it's probably not going to happen until September next year which is nearly, it's going to be nearly two years after I finished my degree, which, um, you know, I've already got the piece of paper, I've got the qualification, but I know it sounds a bit cliche, I really just wanted that moment to throw my hat up in the air and have a big celebration with all my peers and my family, and yeah, it is definitely disappointing that I didn't get a chance to have that this year.
2: Katie Mae Huxtable is the founder and creator of The Graduate Club. She created this platform because she saw that many people, as we heard earlier, are really struggling with dealing with graduating from university, trying to find a new job, trying to celebrate this iconic moment, also while dealing with a global pandemic while going into adulthood for the first time in their lives. She created this platform because she knew people were struggling, people were confused, people didn't know what to do. So she created the Graduate Club so people could come together and share their experiences and share their fears and share just pretty much confusion of it all.
1: I kind of had quite an anticlimactic ending. I submitted my last assignment from my living room at my family home which is like two and a half hours away from from uni and obviously all my friends were dotted about the country and um, we were in a lockdown so it was definitely an interesting one and I was kind of hit by this overwhelming uncertainty and just like emptiness I kind of lacked a sort of purpose there wasn't really any obvious job routes to go down because um, everything was locked down all the businesses were shut at that time and I just kind of felt like there wasn't enough support for students in general especially considering the state that the country was in with the pandemic so I thought I would try and channel my kind of feelings into some sort of project for graduates more so For myself, I didn't really expect it to go anywhere. I just thought at least it'll give me something to do and maybe boost my employability a bit and um, keep me occupied. But the response has been so great. I think it was really reassuring to realise how many different people were in the same boat as me and that I wasn't alone in the feelings that I was kind of feeling every day.
2: I want to then go back then to when you were graduating. So because you weren't able to have any ceremonies or like you said, you couldn't even submit your assignments in class and you know how that big hurrah with all your, all your mates and all your classmates had to be from home. How did you then celebrate this then?
1: Um, It was quite hard I kind of had put a post on the graduate club at the time to just see what other people were doing across the country and how they were trying to mark the occasion because our actual ceremony has been postponed until next year now Um, and a lot of people yeah a lot of people were just trying to do little things with their family like barbecues and things like that Um, because obviously I went to university in Cardiff my mum kind of decorated the kitchen with like a Welsh flag and things like that to (laughs) kind of try and make it um, a bit of a celebration, but I just kind of had like a family dinner and tried to do something memorable so I could look back on it in the future, even if it wasn't with all my friends.
2: So you're talking about before how there's been such a great response to the graduate club. And also because you're not just sharing your concerns and your thoughts and how you've been feeling through this very, very weird time. You've been also been letting other people share their experiences as well. Did you want to tell the listeners some of the experiences that people have spoken about?
1: Um, So a lot of things people have been struggling with, I think, um, are just kind of trying to get experience and trying to find a job. Obviously, the biggest thing at the minute is um, every recruitment process that you could think of was getting postponed. So people were coming out of their degree without any kind of obvious route. And I think you're kind of made to think that there is an obvious um option for you when you finish university Um, i might only be speaking for myself but i kind of thought it would be really obvious and i'd naturally transition into adulthood um which the reality is that never happens um for anybody really you're very lucky if there's kind of a natural route for you after university so i think people have been sharing their stories of just how they've been coping how they've been coping um socially with graduating alone in lockdown and trying to make new friends and trying to stay in touch with friends um from university and obviously just trying to cope with the amount of job rejections or just not hearing back from jobs at all I think it's been quite good to share other people's opinions because um obviously I've got my own that I can share but it just kind of empathizes emphasizes the um the great scale of how many people are kind of struggling at the minute
2: So as someone then that has spoken to other people that have experienced similar things to yourself, then what would then be your best advice then for people that have just graduated and now they have to look for a job in the middle of a global pandemic? What would be your best advice for people to
1: stay strong through all this? Um, I think the best thing you can do that I was definitely trying to do at the start of lockdown is just take every day as it comes. I mean, I'm so used to planning ahead and having lots of events in my calendar to look forward to and things. And obviously with lockdown, everything got cancelled. You didn't really have an obvious next step. So I was just trying to focus on the day that I was in and then kind of approach it rather than looking at it as like a big year to plan. You just kind of take it step by step. Um, and things eventually kind of seem to work themselves out I mean in terms of actually getting a job the main thing that I would advise currently would definitely be going a little bit extra like going the extra mile to employers Um, I managed to actually secure a job in the past few weeks somehow Um, and that was because I kind of After sending off my CV, I I actually started chasing up employers myself and sending additional documents over because I realized that so many applications nowadays are getting kind of 200 responses within an hour. And there was no way to make yourself stand out of the pile if you didn't kind of do a little bit extra. So your name um, springs to mind when they're looking through the application. So I think that's definitely a good thing to do if there are any graduates struggling to find jobs at the minute.
2: That was Katie Mae Huxtable, founder and creator of The Graduate Club. Make sure you check out The Graduate Club on Instagram at The Graduate Club. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Nasty Woman Club, The Catch-Up. For more news stories on the world of intersectional feminism, make sure you head on over to thenastywomanclub.com and also The Nasty Woman Club on Facebook and Instagram. If you're wishing to support this small business, make sure you head on over to Patreon. Anything that helps keep this small business running. I'm your host, Demi Lynch, and I will see you all on Friday for another episode of The Nasty Woman Club.